Hey everybody, what's going on? Today's episode is brought to you by Jay's Wicked Gourmet Sauces. That's right, jayswicked.com. You looking for that barbecue sauce with a little flavor, a little spice? There's something for everyone over at jayswicked.com. And for being a listener of this podcast, they're doing something special for you. That's right, to go over to jayswicked.com, check out all their sauces. Like I said, there's something for everyone there. This isn't your grandfather's sauce. This is some great, tasty stuff. This isn't your generic stuff you find at the supermarket. These guys are doing some great stuff over there. And like I said, as a listener of this podcast, when at checkout, put in promo code winging it. Yes, winging it. All one word to receive 10% off your entire order. That's right, entire order. You want to buy it once, you want to buy it twice, you want to buy it four times a day, that code will work for you. That's right, jayswicked.com. Put winging it in at checkout to receive 10% off your purchase. And come on, it's summertime. Let's get grilling. And on that note, let's start today's show. Okay, first order of business, time to check the weekly podcast rankings. Oh, God. I say we downgrade this ritual to once a year and spare ourselves the agony. Every Tuesday, the ratings came out, and sometimes it felt like no one knew our podcast was even there. This was the day everything changed. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Rant with DW, and yes, I am DW. Uh, at the time of the recording with this, uh, with today's guest, uh, it was about a week or so before a... Uh, a great man passed, a great artist, comic book artist, a legend in the industry. And this particular person uh, really influenced uh, today's guest, uh, Steve Ditko, uh, co-creator, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, uh, many other characters through Marvel and DC. Um, most famously known for, obviously, Spider-Man. Uh, his stories, uh, his artwork were just amazing. He led the way for many of what is now... The standard of Spider-Man. Everything can go back to Ditko um, as far as the, the, with the look, the feel. He was, uh, he was Spider-Man. He was Peter Parker. Um, and like I said, he influenced uh, today's guest. Uh, I sat down with uh, Mr. Joe St. Pierre. You might have heard him a few times. He might even have the record of being <laughs> the, uh, the most, uh, most times on, on, on the network uh, previously when it was Fanboys Inc. But uh, today was a little different this time. Uh, we got to actually sit down and, and talk a little bit about Joe's past, where he came from. Uh, you know, it's funny. I've known him for so long now, eight, nine years, I want to say. Uh, we were trying to figure that out. You'll you'll listen to that in, in today's episode. Um, but it's funny how we talk. We're always talking industry. Obviously, we talked a lot about uh, being uh, part of the new Zodiac, which I think was a, is a great honor to be a part of that. I'm still alive. I'm missing a few fingers, as you may hear um, or have heard on pods past. Uh, but uh, we, we talked pretty much about the current stuff, and I, and I got to learn a few new things about this, about this gentleman. And I, that's what this podcast is about, um, just really sitting down with people that I have interviewed in the past. But actually get to talk a little bit more personal about uh, their lives instead of just the comic book of the week or what's current. Uh, we really, you know, we'll talk about what he's doing uh, for projects now, but uh, it was really great to actually sit down, chat, and uh, really learn more of Joe's background. And like I said, uh, uh, Steve Ditko um, was a huge influence on him. Um, and I kind of wish we, we recorded this podcast after that to get some words from Joe and how he really, how Steve Ditko really uh, influenced his life a little bit more and, and, and just to see how he felt about his passing. But, uh, 
yeah, so that it was a, it was a great episode. I uh, hope you guys enjoy it, and uh, here we go. So when was it? Uh, was when do we first meet? Yeah, was it? Oh, what was it? Been now? Was it 2015? In New York City, right? Yeah, it was New York City Comic Con. It was our very first Comic Con, so I want to say it was. Let's see, uh, 16, 17, 18. No, it's got to be before then. It's got to be, we've been doing this for six years, so it's got to be 2013, 2014 then. Yeah, and 2015 was New Zodiac, so we had known each other before that. Um, you knew Joe. I've never met you before then. Yeah, I knew Joe even longer than I know you. Uh, maybe a year or two, even longer than you, because he was in my class my evening class at Saratoga Arts Center. Now, what did he do for and, you there? And then, well, he took the class, and then he, uh, I said I need interns, so I tried him out as an intern, you know, to kind of, to, <laughs> to kind of see if he, you know, he was game for it, and uh, to see if I, he could kind of take the load off some of my, uh, some of the schedule. Right. And uh, so he tried to, I had him doing a few things. One was file management. And then I think he, uh, I tried him out on backgrounds and stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, he was, he was a smudger. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. And, and a student of uh, Ringling Art School. So uh, uh, yeah, well, no, no he, smudgers uh, there. Well, he, um, it's, it's not a, it's not an incurable problem. It's just that I guess, uh, Oh, I forget what happened after that. Maybe we moved. Oh, you might have moved. That's right. That, that could have been. Yeah, that's right. You could have been. Mm -hmm. He, uh, yeah, smudging. I mean, as an artist myself, smudging is an issue. I've never been in the practice of laying paper down over my artwork, and my hand goes right across it. But it's, yeah, it's something that I've been trying to force myself to do more. But sadly, I haven't been drawing as much as I used yeah. to. It's all digital work, you know. And yep. Now, how did how does that work for you? Now, I know that I have um, some original art here. When we were doing the new zodiacs, um, you actually still do traditional, right? You still pen and ink, right? Yeah, it depends on the job. For me, when I'm doing my own thing, it's something like new zodiacs. It's I like creating pen on paper you know pen pencil right. pen and ink on paper uh so i still do it and i do have experimented with different sizes and stuff like that like liberator was done traditionally 11 by 17 pencil and pen and ink on paper and then um the multi story was actually done on eight and a half by 14 paper to see if i could move faster through the you know through the artwork and stuff and uh, Bold Blood was done two size. It was done actual comic book size. So it, depending on the project and how I feel, um, uh, I mess around with things a lot just to try to get the schedule going, get the output flow. And um, what's better for but, you? What's better for you, bigger or smaller? Yeah, my instinct is to go bigger. Yeah, and uh, I have a. Um, if I had a bigger scanner, I would go even larger just to kind of experiment with it. Right. But I also have done storyboards recently. It was 100% digital. So I can do everything. Um, uh, the storyboard gig was uh, just me drawing on the Cintiq tablet. 
um, you know, just kind of doing my thing with the Syntec. So um, not always necessary for me to do pen and ink on paper, but it's just when it's when it's my thing, it tends to be what I gravitate towards, I guess. Does your style change from digital to uh, graphite? Um, I, I, I would, hmm. I would say I don't really have a style. I know. <laughs> yes, you people, do. I'm, I'm looking. Yeah. Other people disagree. I would say, you know, the, um, the project kind of dictates what it should look like. I, I mm-hmm. would always, I'd love to have like a style where people are like, Oh, that's a Joe. Saint well, Pio I can tell. Or whatever. I mean, I can definitely tell that from looking at the, the only framed artwork on the studio wall at the moment. <laughs> um, yeah. That time when someone cut my fingers off. Um, yeah. Well, that, you know, it deserved it. <laughs> I did not deserve that. <laughs> and I, there better be a, a story where I have some kind of cool uh, Luke Skywalker hand or something. But anyway, uh, yeah, that this, would be cool. The, the style is definitely yours. I can tell, I can pick your style, even if it's not me on the page, but it's got mm-hmm. the, the page right now is showing the dregs. And mm-hmm. Liberator, Joe Nub, myself. It's definitely a style. The the hand you have unique hand structure compared to other people. You mm-hmm. almost, I can almost wanna say your hands and like some of the body movement, not as fluid, but the structure is almost like um Roberto Ramos. That the hands and the feet seem hmm. like really uh Roberto, which is is a is a awesome compliment because the both of you worked on Spider Man and as far as I'm concerned, some of the two best Spider Man artists that I know of, and I'm not just saying that with you being here. Um hmm. you and I have talked. Roberto is one of my favorite, I think, Spider Man artists um for a long time. Just the way he has his fluid motions, the way sp- I mean, no human can go through and, ha- and yeah. hang on a web but he makes it look believable yeah you know yeah i i think he's a good choice like you know when you talk about casting for movies you know there's also casting for artists you right. know with certain characters and i think he's really well cast um for for spider-man as a character and for the reasons you said he's spider-man shouldn't look like a guy in a suit you know, that's for cosplayers in conventions, you know, right. comic book Spider-Man or animated Spider-Man or Spider-Man in his ideal form should be in poses that are, you know, technically impossible for humans to make. Almost like he has no that, bones. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. or he, they can be, you know, super flexible or he can disconnect his uh, limbs at will, you know, right, when right. necessary, right. you know, in order to move more efficiently or whatever. Uh, you know that's you know that's a good that's a good Spider-Man artist who mm-hmm. can draw him and poses that you know are kind of not really possible for you know an American ninja to make right you know, right, like right exactly you know, and and you got to go beyond and you still got to respect you know the Ditko era as well yeah um, well I think Dit- Ditko established that idea I think know? so I think so too. Now, yeah. uh, I don't, we've known, like I said, we've known each other for years now. How did you even get into comics as a kid? I mean, was it through your parents? <laughs> was it through, you know, what, what got you started when you were younger? I mean, what did mom and dad, what, well, actually, what, what did mom, what did mom and dad do for work? I mean, how, what, what, what was the household like when you were younger? 
Uh, mom was a homemaker and my dad worked at a paper mill, which is kind of ideal when, <laughs> when you're, you're an artist, <laughs> you're an artist and you need supplies, you know, dad would bring home a stack of paper every once in a while. So was that how you got started drawing? Your dad would bring you the reams of paper in or? Yeah, I wish I could tell you the, um, you know, the, the origin event that started me drawing, but I do remember at an early age, you know, I've got pictures family photos of me when I was like four years old mm -hmm. and I'm holding up a comic book. Oh, okay. So that um, young. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had them in my life since I have memory right. and, um, and I don't know what it was, the colors, the, the links to maybe cartoons I was watching. Um, uh, I, I don't know what it, what, the exact moment was but i was always attracted to it and not just not just you know reading them although you know i attribute i did very well in school you know i'm i guess i was kind of a nerd you know you know learning education wise but i i attribute the uh you know me excelling in school because i learned how to read by reading comics mm -hmm. Now, did the, and, um, now was it dad? Did dad get you the comics? How did you? I mean, were, obviously, was your, yeah, your dad I, was your dad in the reading comics, or is there anybody else in the family that was older brothers or anybody that was reading um, comics? I don't honestly remember okay. dad reading comics, but I do remember, like, say, um, my grandmother and my father would take me to the funny bookstore. They used to call them funny books when I was a yeah. kid. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> like the, funny the old, papers. Yep. Is that what happened with you too? The family members uh, called funny books. Yeah, I mean they weren't really. No, let's see. I mean, let's see. My era. Let's see. My first, and you would appreciate this. Uh, Nineteen seventy-five. So I'm five, at the time, mm -hmm. um, and in my grandmother's basement, uh, I would go and see my father every other weekend. You know how those divorces and marriages go, sure. whatever. Sure. But I would go over to my grandmother's on the weekends, every other weekend, and my uncle Mark was a huge Doc Savage, you know, the the the, uh, the pocket novels, the small ones. Very uh, cool. Uh, Doc Savage, uh, John Connor, Man of Mars. Yep. Um, so the, the artwork on there intrigued me. So obviously I was not, I was too young to actually go through and actually pay attention and read the books, but he was really in the fantasy J.R. Tolkien. Yep. And then one day he there's a box of comic books sitting in the cellar and i was down there there was other toys and bicycles and whatnot and i i, I shit you not the first comic book i ever picked up in my hand which i still have in a cedar box in the dark <laughs> is x-men number one from 1963 no way. Yes. That was one of the first comics you ever read? That's the very... In 1975, I picked that up. Now, as a kid, you're not thinking value. And even in the 70s, there was no... Oh, my not God. You, there was no collector-type feel. You know what Never. I'm saying? You know? Yep. It was to read them, yep. throw them away, read them. So, I mean, I didn't, yep. I didn't roll it up. And I want to say it's in the high sevens. Maybe? Really? Yeah. Um, I could be wrong. It could be even close to sixes. But... I read that. Uh, I read Kamandi. I have that, and I have the whole run. I think I'm missing two issues of the original Kamandi as well. I love that story as a kid, 
you know, for yeah. me, it wasn't so much superheroes, but it was The Last Boy on Earth. I thought it was really cool. I'm yeah. like, this is cool. There's talking tigers. There's gorillas. There's, <laughs> you know, uh, what was it? The uh, was It It wasn't the nuclear man. What, what the hell was it? The, uh, he, I can't remember. It's been so long since I read him. But you, he hit his chest, and I, it might be like nuclear oh, man. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And yes. it changed. Boxer? Was it? No, Bob Boxer or something. It like could that? be, yeah. And then there, there was the uh, talking dog. But yeah, but yeah, when yeah. he when he hit his yeah. chest plate, he was radioactive, or he had a sheath like maybe uh, a beginning of Colossus. It was, you know, he was yes. armored. Um, yep. I, I, a lot of Sergeant Rock, um, mm. a lot of Halloween Commandos, mm-hmm. um, and then there was a lot of the Batman, Superman, Superboy. Uh, sure some Avengers and I don't have any of those. And I want to say I had some key issues just, you know, going through the online and seeing the covers. I'm like, yeah. I had that. And some of them were yeah. key issues of first appearances yeah. back in the, you know, we're talking under hundreds, you know, in the numbering of Avengers. So, yeah, you know, it, which kind of sucks. I wish I still had them, <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I hear you. I think I ate a lot of my comics. <laughs> <laughs> well, at four years old, I just you, like you look have. at them so much that they like dissolve in my hands or something. Well, they like were, that. you know what? Back then, though, we were. It was. I mean, so when you were four, what year? You're not too much older than me, right? I'm probably a bit older than you. So um, I was born in born in '64. So, okay, so uh, you're six years older than me. Six years. That's yeah, it. Yeah. So in, you old fart. Yeah. So in in 1970, you were four. So that was when you first picked up your comic book. So yeah, roughly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the first comics that I remember was from a family photo. It was JLA number 68, and I recently bought that on eBay just because it probably you know I probably digested it somewhere right, right. and passed it. <laughs> now was it a key issue? So or I, just... I just bought it because. Uh, I just, I was just like, it was something that kind of, I have brain cells dedicated to that cover. And so I wanted to look at it again, you know, and looking at it again, it all kind of came back to me. I remember the ads inside the book. Oh my God. The old uh, ads. Yes. Yeah. Brave and the bold and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it all kind of came back to me when I was looking through the book. It's pretty wild. So there was no defining moment. I mean, obviously going through kindergarten, preschool or preschool, kindergarten, and then, you know, middle school. Yeah. Was it still superheroes? Were you starting to draw then? Obviously, when you're taking art classes or doing art in school, was there anything there at that? Yeah, point? that that was that's kind of the supplement to it is is it wasn't just me reading and enjoying them or being in entertained by comics. For me, it was about I wanted to make them, too. Mm hmm. So it probably wasn't long after I started reading comics that I was drawing them. Okay. And uh, I had an early character. Uh, was like, it's funny that you talk about this because uh, I was just thinking about this uh, this morning while I was exercising. I had an early, very early character that I remember. His name was Space Goof, and he was an alien. And he was essentially like a dome head with squiggly antenna coming out of it. And uh, I did... I did comics with Space Goof, you know, that are gone. Right. I, I have no idea what happened to them, but I know they existed at some point. Right. Because when I was older, when I was like 10 years old, I decided to launch my own comic book company at home, homemade comics and <laughs> space. And I kind of revisited Space Goof even then. I kind of retooled Space Goof when I was 10. Right. 
So I've got maybe five or six comics that I made from 10 up with Space Goof in them. Oh, that's all. And you don't have those anymore. Well, the originals I don't have anymore. Right. But I remembered the stories. So when I decided to start my own company when I was 10, I re- basically retooled the stories, gotcha. you know, based on my memory. That's pretty cool. But I must have, I'd say, at least 60 comics that I made during that time period, you know, like, say, from... Oh, you got to post them online. I want to see those. That's pretty cool. Dude, I've been thinking about <laughs> running a Kickstarter and publishing them. <laughs> there you go. Now, is it a... These si- are cool characters. Now, man. is it... Super Clown and... <laughs> Super Clown. That's awesome. Now, is it... Is it... Uh, uh, are, they f- are they funny comics or are they, like, superhero serious comics? It was a little bit of both, yeah, actually, because okay. uh, I didn't just read, you know, um, Spider-Man and uh, Superman or Batman, although I gravitated. Eventually, it all kind of gravitated towards Marvel Comics. But mm-hmm. in the beginning, you know, I was reading Richie Rich and right. Sad Sack and uh, Bugs Bunny comics. And um, I'm trying to think of some of the other animal comics that were out at the time. But, you know, I was reading a little bit of everything. Right. And by the time I got the bug, it became like a regular thing. My dad would take me to the funny book store and I'd, you know, I'd pick out, you know, 30 comics and my, then my father would kind of rein me in. So you can only have five. <laughs> well, 30 comics back yeah. then only cost you five bucks. <laughs> yeah, it was nothing. What was it the was cost nothing. back then? Was it, was it a nickel back then? Yeah, they were like 20 cents a yeah. piece, okay. I think, okay. when I remember. Okay. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty cheap. Uh, I um, what was mine? I see. I didn't. I. I after stop reading them, and obviously you grow up, and there's girls, and there's school and activity. I really didn't pay attention. Uh, my first comic I bought was for seventy five cents, and it was the original Secret Wars with Doctor Doom on the cover. I want to say that oh, was. Yeah. I forgot what issue number is that. Is that nine or seven? I know Spider Man is eight. I think with the black suit, but that and that was at a Walden's book on a spinner rack. So, and what was it that grabbed you? Had you heard about Secret Wars? No, I just it was happened, a huge event. Back no, I just happened to be going in the bookstore. And at the time, let's see, I forgot what year the original Secret Wars came out. So I don't know my age at that time. But I was reading mm-hmm. fantasy books, you know, Dragonlands, Dungeons and Dragons. I was a huge drunk, drunk, uh, Dungeons and Dragon player, D&D player. Oh, were you really? Huge. Oh, you know, I would draw, make my own characters and sheets and whatnot. Yes. Yeah. And I just happened to be spinning the spinner rack, and I'm like, what is this? This yeah. is really cool. <laughs> and then I just started buying them, and, you know, and it, and I kind of miss that experience, and I'm sure you can relate, you know. And I wasn't too old, so I, on Sundays I would go in with my dad, and I'd get a Matchbox car and, and mm-hmm. a comic book, you know. Uh, once I started getting the one at Walt, you know, the bookstore, then it was it was a treat. It was like, oh my god, what's happening this month? I don't want to wait a whole month. Yeah. This is really cool. As I'm getting older, and obviously starting Fanboys Inc. and doing everything, obviously with Inkcast for that we did for pretty much five years nonstop, it still kind of lost its its. Um, I don't know. Just kind of not that I didn't enjoy them, but it wasn't as special. I guess when I was a kid, I, does that make sense? It mm-hmm. was just. Yeah, there was a wonderment and and not that I didn't appreciate the artwork and what goes into it now, but I was just like, wow, this is awesome. How do I get the other issues? You know, and then I ended up there ended up being a comic book store in uh, Fort Edward called Quincy's Market. 
And yeah. so I started going there and buying my books and subscribing and getting books once a month. I was, I think, uh, like your dad, I at this time it was like, see, 75 cents went to a buck, a buck and a quarter. I was picking up 15 books a week or 15 books a month, if not more. And my mom was like, uh, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, I, I got all these issues. Ma, come on. I got to get these. So that was an awesome treat. That's what I look forward to every month going there on a Sunday. Um, huh. Now it's just kind of like, okay, they, they get mailed to me or I go to the Comic Depot and I pick up my subscription. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, it's. I mean, I enjoy them, but it's not that, you know, oh, my God, we got to go this day. And, it, and, it's, and it's an adventure kind of deal or it's just an escape, yeah. you know. Yeah. There was a... Um We've probably talked about this in the past, but do you think it's an it's an age thing? Like we've read enough comics in our day, we're not surprised anymore, we're not shocked anymore, we're not filled with wonder as much as we're older. What do you think is the difference? What's going on? It could be that it could be that we're we're old and jaded. uh, Yeah, and real real life is in the way. And I mean, I'll Mm -hmm. read them, but I'm not like enthralled and it's not because the the writing's bad i mean i think the last series that i've been really was really enthralled with was scott snyder's and capullo's and atelian's uh, batman metal um oh metal was good i i enjoyed it i know that's not i've always been a snyder fan you know uh from his run on on batman and the and the quarter owls and i thought that was a great take i also enjoyed his run on uh, witches with image he's he's a horror guy he likes yeah that you know, that genre. So yeah. for him to be able to go to DC and say, Hey, I want to do this with Batman. That takes a lot. I mean, obviously the high ups are like, that takes a lot of, uh, you know, credit for DC to let Scott go. Hey, I want to do this. So that shows what a good writer sure. is and what they think of him. And I sure. thought it was a great take. I, I it's really sure. cool. Horror. If it kind of thing that you deal with Batman, I'm not so much of a fan of what was going on with the Joker at the time, but overall, that was there was a little bit of spark there for me. I'm like, oh my god, I couldn't wait to get my hands on the first yeah. one. You know, <laughs> wow, this is awesome. And I think it's I so. Think, I think that's kind of what we're looking for. Maybe not a rehash of what we've already seen, but just do something that makes us uh, excited about the character right, again, right? right. It is, and but at the same time, uh, you as a creator, and you and uh, you know, we'll get into it. You worked for Marvel. You've done uh, you know Image and uh, Valiant. Um, mm-hmm. you, you are if you're handling a character like Spider Man or Rye or Spider Man twenty ninety nine, you're held by you know what the editors, what other people have written about the character. So it's hard for you, yeah. I, and it's got to be hard to and for hard as a reader to get a new story out. This this character wouldn't say this. This character wouldn't do this because this is Batman. Yeah. Batman's not going to kill somebody with a gun because that's not how it's done here. You know, right, so right. to give somebody full reign almost with the dynamic duel, you know, of Capullo and Snyder, that's amazing. And that and it was accepted. I think that's the other thing yeah. is too because yeah. let's say we do something outrageous with Spider-Man. Maybe you personally um, have a story you want to do with Spider-Man, but it's not fitting in his character. But what, he, but what it resonates with the general audience going, Peter Parker wouldn't do that. Oh my God, what? What are you doing? You know. <laughs> but it may, in, but it may excite you as well as it might excite a few of us. But it might yeah. not sell, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, <clears throat> that's the thing about monthly franchise publication is right. that you know at some point. 
someone's going to have to try to come up with something different, a different slant on an established character, and it's either going to catch or it's going to crash, right? So, of course. you know, that's the... That's the plus and the minus of a franchise character. It's like the story never ends, so you have to come up with fresh takes on um, on characters that are w- very familiar with a lot of people. Right. So I think uh, Court of Owls is a great example. It's a, they he uh, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo added something that had never been done before, you know, with the with the Batman mythos that was very effective and had never really been addressed. You know, the, the possibility that there would be an organization out there in Gotham city that would avoid the world's greatest detective. That's an interesting challenge. Oh, know? definitely. And in his <clears throat> callbacks to some of older issues, like you could go yeah. back years ago and there's a hint that that was the quarter owls. I mean, how yeah. that, that takes a lot of research that takes a lot yeah. of dedication on the character itself. So I think yes. that that's yeah. an also a testament to to them. Um, I agree, totally agree. So now, getting back to, with you, uh, ten years old, you're making comics, you're going through high school, uh, you're doing some more. What uh, did you? Were you serious about pursuing going to Marvel? And at the time, who were your uh, who were your heroes at the time? Was it just Spider Man? Because I know you're a huge Spider Man fan. Yeah, Spidey is the uh, for me is the all time, and he's the one that kind of holds up on multiple reads Mm -hmm. for me you know there's certain characters that i like you know i like batman a lot but there aren't many there aren't many um batman comics that gave me the fire in the belly Mm -hmm. the way you know there there are many spider-man comics that did that okay there are many x-men but um I knew what I wanted to do for a living at a very early age. I think I said this on one of your podcasts before. Uh, my very first rejection letter came from Marvel Comics when I was 10 years old. So um, I was convinced at a very early age that I was basically destined to draw comics and to draw Spider-Man specifically. And so I did a bunch of drawings of Spider-Man. I put them, folded them up nice and neatly in an envelope, sent them to Marvel Comics, and then waited patiently for my phone call you know i thought i was going to get a job right, right away right, right and uh so the you know the uh the rejection letter uh, didn't quite go the, the way i had anticipated <laughs> <clears throat> but it didn't stop me either and i think that's one thing that i had you know granted i i grew up in a kind of suburban you know middle class lifestyle and i'm a white boy but i i was I was on a mission to do something and there was nobody in on earth who was going to stop me from doing it. Did you, uh, did you hide it when you were in school? I mean, back then, uh, let's see when you were in high school, let's see, you're six years older than me. So you would be, let's see, 80, you'd be in high school around the eighties, correct? Well, I always excelled at art, you know, people, uh, that's maybe one of the things that led me to the field is, you know, it, if I got any encouragement at all, uh, growing up, it was when I was creative. Right. Right. So, you know, I would do something like they'd have a pumpkin decorating contest in kindergarten and I won first prize because mine was the only pumpkin that had a mustache and beard on it. You know, <laughs> nice, that, nice. <laughs> all right. he was a hippie, he was a hippie pump. All right. You know, so smoking, uh, smoking, know, so smoking I, those pumpkin seeds. That's what he was doing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> snorting their roasted mm. pumpkin seeds. Were comic books uh, acceptable though back then? I mean, did oh, you tell your friends no. or did you hide it? Did you? It wasn't something that went over well. I was an early preacher of the medium and I wanted everyone to love comics, mm-hmm. but I quickly discovered, you know, except for maybe a, a six month span in sixth grade, I, I'd say there were maybe four or five of my friends in sixth grade. We all had our own comic book companies and we all drew our own comics. And then once sixth grade passed, you know, I was on my own. Gotcha. So I'm I'm very much used to, you know, towing the road on my own, right. you know, being, you know, straight up rejected across the board for for the things that I cared about. So that did that, so, did that reflect going into high school as well? I mean, obviously it wasn't oh, a hit, yeah. it wasn't a hit with the ladies back then, I'm sure. <laughs> Not a hit with the ladies, never was. No, uh, it's still not much of one. I don't know. I, I tell you what, the, it's the they're one of the biggest growing demographics reading comic books right now in the well, last that, five years. Well, I think that's where I find find the encouragement in the uh, in the medium. It's like I when I t- I taught a class recently, and um, the ki- the kids were all boys and girls, and they were probably eight to twelve years old. And they clearly didn't have the experience that you and I had. You know, mm-hmm. I would go on Wednesdays to the local grocery store, family grocery store. They'd have a spinner rack or some kind of magazine rack with the latest comics on them. And so every Wednesday I was in that store. Mm-hmm. And then later when comic shops came around, it was like a religious event, right? Every of Wednesday yeah. you show up. Well, these kids don't have that experience. And it took, it was, it was kind of like a, like a ball peen hammer to the head that it's like, guess what, Joe, you know, this, your experience is gone. Right. And so I would ask these kids, show these kids like copies of detective comics. And they'd look at me like, I have no idea what you're (laughs) holding in front of your hands. This paper is flimsy paper thing. So it's like, you guys are all in, you're all in comic book class, right? So why are you in comic book class if you don't know what a comic book is? It's on my iPad. And they would, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's not just on your iPad, but it's in graphic novel form. Right. And uh, mom and dad buy it at Barnes and Noble. Right. And they buy a complete story that I don't have to tune into every Wednesday. Right. Right. So I read this book. I like this book. Bone, Amulet, Smile, uh, and and that's how they're getting their comics entertainment nowadays. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing, to come back to what you're getting at, is the subject matter is getting wider. And maybe that started with anime a little bit when anime mm-hmm. came in. Because okay. they had like tennis players, super tennis players, right, and right. super test takers, and mystery detective kids and right. stuff like that. Um, you know, maybe it started with the manga and the anime stuff. Uh, but it's in full force out there nowadays. So there are books, you know, that there are graphic novels that outsell Batman. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and the subject matter isn't always, you know, guys in capes flo- flying around punching people. Well, I think we saw that uh, pretty much after the big boom in the 90s with Image. You know, obviously it was the superhero kick, obviously, that, that turned the six rock stars from Marvel and DC to start Image. Um, but as you see this company grow, a lot of it's non-capes and cowls. It's, I mean, yeah. I got witches right here. I got Outcast, uh, you know, which is a Kirkman horror. You know, obviously, Walking Dead, one of the biggest 
most popular mm-hmm. comic books out there is there's no mm-hmm. you know cape and cowls in there so obviously from that uh, that that uh, I guess it would be the phoenix and then the phoenix falling in a, in a way I mean with, yeah. with the huge boom of the 90s comic book trend and then it falling drastically after what I don't know 6 years 96 97 it kind of yeah. detuned right out um, I think that was uh, the connection or the birth of the non-superhero comic book. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, so um, you could make the case. Maybe I'm just tossing this out there uh, that the '90s was the death throes of the superhero. Comic. It could be. I mean, it was what I mean. Still to this day, X-Men number one, Jim Lee's mm-hmm. eight million copies. You can't yeah. you can't give that thing away at this point, you know. <laughs> but but back in yeah. the heyday, that's like holy shit, that's amazing. Yeah. Now who sells eight million copies of a comic book? Yeah, you know. Yeah, and the cool thing is that was a good book too. So, but mm-hmm. there are other books that sold comparable to that and weren't good. Right. <laughs> oh yeah, and that that book too. That got my uh-huh. my goosebumps. I was yeah, I sure. was still thrilled about getting. I'm like, oh my god, a new X. Sure. Oh my god, this is amazing. This yeah. is so cool because I was an X Men fan, obviously yeah. growing up. Huge. But, um, so I can still tell you my X Men moment. Did yeah. we talk about this? Too? I don't think we've ever talked about this now. Okay, so it's uh, X Men. I was buying X Men since they relaunched it. Since the giant, giant size, size X Men. Yep. And I liked it. I thought it was great. Dave Cockrum mm-hmm. ruled, and Chris Claremont was good. John Byrne was great. But there was a moment in, uh, I think it was uh, X Men 126, the Proteus storyline, yes. Mutant X. I know it. Yep, I know it. And so there's a scene where Mutant X, he kind of inhabits these bodies, and he doesn't have a form himself, right? So he has to inhabit human bodies, and he kind of drains their life force mm-hmm. while he's in there. So he's he's uh, dried out his current host to a husk, and he's taken on Wolverine, so he's got to enter Wolverine's body, right? So uh, I can still see the, the image in my head. So Proteus becomes his gaseous form. He enters Wolverine's body, and Wolverine basically kind of convulses. He just rears back. He's like screaming at the top of his lungs. And uh, so the... Proteus exits Wolverine's body and he goes back into the previous husk and he's like, your body is riddled with metal. And I, I, I can't handle, you know, I have a weakness to metal. And uh, Wolverine says something like, yeah, there's $3 million worth of adamantium <laughs> in my skeleton. And I'm like, holy flying crap. This guy's got a metal – he doesn't have just metal claws. Right, right. His whole skeleton is metal. Yep. And I'm like, okay, from here on I have oh, to Oh, so have that was every... your first time That was your first time knowing about the, the, the yes. lace bone? Oh, it's the that's first cool. time they announced it. That's it's cool. the first time they, they mentioned it. Nice. Three million bucks worth of adamantium. I went bananas, and from that point on I had to have every single <laughs> X-Men comic that nice. came out. That's awesome, though. That that's cool. I, I mean, that it's kind of like my Doctor Doom Secret Wars moment. That like, holy yeah, crap, what's going yeah, on here? This is yeah. awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, going back in, you uh, did you going to college? Did you go to? Did you what college did you go to? And did you pick because of going into comic book art? Uh, yes. I made the decision. You know, when when you're in high school, it's like. Okay, now things are getting serious. You're preparing for college. You have to decide what your career was. And 
Um, so in junior year, I said, all right, I'm taking classes. I'm taking art classes. I'm going to be an artist. So um, took sculpture, took pa- painting, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And from there, my art teacher kind of talked me into trying for uh, an art school named Pratt Institute in mm-hmm. New York City. And I was big on New York because, you know, Marvel Comics is in New York. Oh, of and course. It had a mystique about it, you know, just from reading comics, right? So I was turned on to the idea, and a uh, long story short, I made it to Pratt Institute for two years. Nice. And then trans- uh, uh, transferred, is that the right word? Yeah. Transferred after two years, I went to uh, School of Visual Arts because uh, Will Eisner was teaching at the School of Visual Arts. Oh, very and cool. Joe, or- Joe Orlando, um, who was an editor at DC at the time, was teaching at the School of Visual Arts. So, um, so I transferred over there. I, I got the sense that, you know, because they had comic book classes, um, they took, they took things more seriously than Pratt did. Pratt didn't have comic classes and the form was generally frowned upon. I'm sure that's probably not the case today. No, there's actually, there's comic book classes, writing and drawing right now, even in some high schools at this point. So I'm glad to hear that. It's very cool. Um, long overdue but in the 80s when i was in school it was not uh it was still the funny something. books yeah yeah pretty much pretty much mm. and um so i took the comic classes i graduated and still i think it was another year before i actually got a gig you know it was it was me kind of working for uh i was doing illustrations for a book for an an independent author and then while i was working on working there i was kind of putting samples together you know back then they would they didn't have computers and they didn't have the internet so the only way to kind of get noticed was to send photocopies of your work to the editors right and uh, i would do that on a regular basis and uh eventually i'd get you know, I get more rejection letters, you know, they were much less formal than the one I got when I was 10. It was very corporate. But um, you get rejection letters on a regular basis until finally the rejection letters would have like a handwritten note. You're getting close, work on this, work on this. Oh, very cool. And Yeah, so I remember one from uh, Dick Giordano from D.C. He was at D.C. at the time. I remember a handwritten note from him at the bottom of a corporate form letter, you know, saying, work on this, work on this. You're getting close. And then finally, uh, sending out a packet of samples on a Monday and getting a phone call on Wednesday. So that was it. And it was valiant. Uh, Don Perlin was the guy who gave me the phone call so that was your very first gig was that valiant yes yep 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 and was that with rye it was on a book called rye which was a month late on my first day on the job so ouch (laughs) no pressure no pressure (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i mean i would I've, i've said this quite a few times that i learned more uh you know in a year in the trenches working at valiant that i did four years of school so it's not uh, not to disparage, you know, uh, college, but, you know, just working when it's 100 percent, you know, you're getting paid to do this. It's a lot different than being in school and having to work on the side. That's what I did. I, I put myself through school. So I had to have a job. I'm, 
side. So I worked full time at the same time I went to school full time. Um, so when those two things come together, when your job and your passion are combined into one, you know, things happen. Right. So uh, I always said this a year on the job working with like Jim Shooter, um, Barry Windsor Smith, Bob Layton, you know, you learn stuff faster. Um, you know, you learn what your weaknesses are. Mm -hmm. So, you know, while I was working at Valiant, you know, I knew I was weak in anatomy. So I threw myself in an anatomy class, you know, on Saturday afternoons. It's just like, okay, I had trouble drawing this shot this week. So I go in the anatomy class and I'd be like, okay, let's figure out how to draw that better. So you're you're um, dedicated. I mean, that, that's, yeah, yeah, definitely. I was not kidding around. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself, but that's also a lot of dedication to go and, and do that. It's not like, hey, I'm, I'm just going to fly by night and get better maybe if I just keep doing it. I got I to gotta research. I got I to gotta learn a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. So um, how, Yeah, I couldn't say that better. <laughs> so how long did you stay with Valiant? Um, was it two years at Valiant? I... I, I'd have to check my resume. Yeah. I don't remember the dates, but you know, while I was at Valiant, I created villains for Rye and supporting cast for Rye. Rye lasted, I think I did seven issues of Rye, and then they plopped me on um, fill-ins, uh, which you know, I was big on writing and stuff too, not just mm-hmm. comics, not just penciling, but you know, I wanted to learn everything. And one of the cool things about Valiant was. You know, they they had a studio. You could go into the offices, and Bob Layton would be there teaching people how to ink. That's cool. And so I'd sit in on those, not so much classes, as, right. but you know, just kind of lessons that you would learn. Or when I'd finish, when you know, I'd finish an issue of Rye, I'd take it over to Jim. You know, take it to Jim Shooter, and say, okay, how do we make this better? You know, what's what was wrong with this, or you know, why do we keep doing this? You know. And Jim generally was receptive to uh, to questions. Although if you ask him now, I think he'll say that him and Bob both will say I, I was a pain in the ass. <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, you know what? So what? I mean, you, you wanted to learn and better yourself and whatever. But you know what? That's if you know what you got to ask those questions. I mean, why not approach them? Yeah. Definitely. The goal was to get on Spider-Man. So while you so, were a valiant, yeah. were you while you were a valiant? Speaking of Spider-Man, were you sending submissions to Marvel at this time, or were you uh, trying to connect uh, with anybody at Marvel? Uh, short answer: Yes, okay. but it happened. It wasn't. You know, I was writing and drawing my own book for a while there, mm-hmm. and you know, I thought that was a pretty good gig for a while. So uh, you know, I kind of tried to keep my focus on just kind of improving my craft. Mm -hmm. But the, you know, the intention was to go to Marvel and to get a gig at at, on Spider-Man. And when did that happen? That happened. Um, let's see towards the end of my run on secret weapons. Um, uh, we, there was a a letter there. Great guy. His name is Kenny Lopez. He was a good friend of mine. Um, I said, okay, it's time. You know, so Kenny worked at, Kenny was well known throughout the industry at the time in New York City. You know, he worked for DC, Marvel, Valiant. He worked for just about everybody. He's a really talented letterer. And um, so 
I don't remember if I asked Kenny or if Kenny offered. It wouldn't surprise me if he offered to take me into Marvel. So I brought my uh, samples in. Uh, Bobby Chase offered me a tryout gig on the Hulk on the spot. And uh, Kenny took me over to Joey Cavallari's office. He was Joey was doing the 2099 stuff. Nice. And uh, Joey was like, what are you doing a tryout story for? I'll give you work right now. Oh, wow. So, so was, this, was, was this from looking at your portfolio or whatnot? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, by that time, I've got a gig. You know, I'm a monthly artist on Secret Weapons. I'm writing and drawing. So, you know, there was some weight to the – it wasn't just, you know, a guy off the street with a portfolio. You know, it was, mm-hmm. I was a working pro. Right. And so, so you were doing uh, – Joey. Uh, you did Spider-Man 2099. Yeah. Yep. And once again, the uh, the goal was to draw Spider-Man proper, Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. So when I when I was drawing Spider-Man 2099, I was drawing the McFarlane webbing. Right. I was drawing Mc, uh, Miguel O'Hara. That was the civilian Spider-Man's name. Um, and I was drawing Miguel O'Hara the way I would draw Peter Parker. And uh, you know, it was it was about getting the gig at Spider Man. Right. So when the work ran out in Joey's office, um, you know, they offered me a gig on Spider Man. Now, what run? What issues were you doing for them? Well, a lot of the Spider Man stuff turned into like miniseries or uh, one shot specials, right. that kind of thing. And um, I guess I wasn't too picky about you know what. Spider-Man project it was. It was just Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, it was Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, maybe in retrospect I would have tried to get on Amazing or right, right. Spectacular or something, but you know, they were they had well-established teams on those books at right. the time, so. Now, you have I, I'm a not sure. you have a claim to fame on that. You have the mo- you've done the most number one issues or covers for Spider-Man. Yeah. So that's something I only realized like a couple of years ago. It's like, you know, when I was going through my resume, I was like, I did this issue. It's a, it's a number one. I did this this miniseries. It's got a number one. I did this special. It's a number one. I did this annual. So, uh, you know, it's, self, it's self-imposed based on my own research. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I've done more number one issues featuring Spider-Man or his cast than any other artist. Has anybody and come forth to, to claim that crown <laughs> or say that you're me, wrong? No, no, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm at nine. So, uh, so, uh, you know, I think Ryan Stegman may have three or four gotcha. right now. Gotcha. And just because he's Ryan Stegman, I'll give him two more, but that's, <laughs> that's six. That's six. Okay. And Mark Bagley, I know he did, uh, um, oh, he did a ton too, he, didn't he? Yeah, I think he did a couple Venom miniseries, so that counts as a Spider-Man comic. Uh, that's so give him two there. Maybe he did. Uh, I think he might have done Spider-Man Unlimited or something like okay. that. Number one. Okay. And because he's raw, he's he's Mark Bagley. I'll give him two more. Look at you. You're, you're a generous so he's guy. At five. <laughs> he's at five. So you you hold nine. the crown. You hold the the, the web yeah. crown. That's what you do. So I fully expect that to go change because you know they revamp spider-man like every six months now right right, right. He's got Re- a number one issue renumber and all that and, yeah uh, yeah man yeah totally now do, so, you, do you count your spider-man 2099 did you do number one of them yes okay i did uh 
I did a Spider-Man 2099 annual, okay. number one. I love the Spider-Man 2099. He's one of my favorite. Uh, Miguel O'Hare, I think I've told you this before, is still one of my fave. Always. Yeah, what did you like about him? I, just because you're used to the Peter. I was never a big Peter Parker, Spider-Man person. I was mm-hmm. X-Men, whatnot, other Marvel characters. Not too big. I mean, when I was younger, mm-hmm. reading my uncle's books, I was because it was cool. You know, the, the, the lizard, right. the, the scorpion and whatnot. Um, but... I just kind of lost touch with him. I think it was probably around uh, Spectacular or whatever. I just like, eh. Mm-hmm. But when this new one came out, you know, I'm like, whoa, this is cool. He's got talons. He's got, you know, <laughs> this is really cool. And it's darker. Yeah. It's, you know, and it's, and it's, I'm always one for the else worlds or the what ifs. I've always been a sucker for those stories with the characters. Kind of like what mm-hmm. we were saying. You can, you can take that batman or superman and do whatever you want in that story because it's not canon but i right. like i like those stories i've i've read right. superman you know get weakened by kryptonite a hundred issues great lex Luthor does it again whoopoo you know but yep. with this now batman's a pirate or superman you know is not affected by kryptonite or what yeah. whatever um yeah you know the what ifs marvel's what ifs when they the first round the second round of what ifs never didn't do anything for me because it almost was like Almost kind of like it was just they give somebody something to do and rewrite it. it. What they weren't as good as the original series, you know, of what ifs, yes. you know. So um, when Spider Man twenty ninety nine came out, it was something different, you know. I was big in the yeah. Spider Man twenty ninety nine. I tried to really give Doom twenty ninety nine a chance, but it just lost me after like four issues. I'm like, you know what? It's just not working for me, you know. Um, yeah. So I mean, I was big on Shooter's uh, New Universe. I mean. I sadly that oh, was, really? sadly that was a huge flop. But Starbrand <laughs> was one of my favorite characters. Cyforce or Cyhawk was another one of my favorite uh, characters. Uh-huh. And then you know just what six five six years ago, not even Starbrand makes it into the Avengers and the new Avengers. So it was really cool to see oh, no way. one of those characters. Yeah, and I think it was Nighthawk, Nighthawk or Nightshade. That was another mm-hmm. new universe character that came back into the play. Uh, in the new universe, um, when the worlds were colliding and there was alternate realities, they happened to be there. So it was really cool to see that. Um, that is kind of cool. I didn't realize they had revamped those characters. They didn't revamp anybody else really, except for Starbrand and Nightshade. Every and I think Starbrand might still be there. But Cyforce was awesome too. It was a bunch of teenagers, you know, mm-hmm. ethnic teenagers, and when they joined, they made this Cyhawk, and it was and he looked mm-hmm. like a a Native American, you know, and he had powers, yeah. and it was really. I thought that was. That was, once again, part of the image era and whatnot of creating different characters. So I didn't have to see Peter Parker. I didn't have to see Clark Kent. I didn't have to see Bruce Wayne. I got a new bunch of characters that, wow, this is really cool. You know, mm-hmm. Sadly, that universe failed very badly, but you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Um, yeah. At least they gave it a shot, though. I think there was at least a year's worth of I think so. new universe. I think right? it went through 12 or 13 issues. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, nowadays that would never happen. No, I mean, unless your image. No one would ever. Well, it depends on if your image. I mean, I, I think that's another testament to image. I mean, the, the the I think the model has changed since the original incarnation of that company. But they are oh, sure. they're still trying to put out different content. I think they're. I mm-hmm. think now I think they're more, maybe about more about the mighty dollar, and very. Mm-hmm. Um, touch and go on what properties they want to do now that could be smart you know this mm-hmm. might not sell might not but back then how do they know you know but they they yeah. they did did they think walking dead was going to be a hit like it is no 
So let's yeah. do it. You know, they took a chance and did it. Here, I think there's a lack of, you know, in any business, not even just in the comic book community, there's, there's this lack of chance or take a leap and do something. I mean, the only one yeah. that I really know that's really trying to do anything is Ominous Press, you know, with Sean, Ron, and Bart Sears. Mm-hmm. You know, they're trying to redo Bart's old Ominous Press uh in print from back in the day and they're trying something new i mean other than that mm-hmm. i don't really be, besides the independent creator obviously there's right. a ton more out now especially because it's so accessible so easy with amazon comiXology to do that but to be in the to have the big three as i call them to do something new i i just think they're too cautious now and and, and, mm-hmm. and i think they're missing opportunities here uh, and worried so much about the mighty dollar at first than getting a good story out. I mean, I, th- I I could be totally wrong, and some of the per- the industry professionals that I know might say that I'm that I'm way off base. But you know, looking <laughs> outside in, that's how I feel. You know, and yeah, that's what it is. So we went we went into Spider Man, Spider Man twenty ninety nine, still in Saratoga. What uh, we're we're gonna jump? I know that you that you did megahertz. I know you've done a lot of creator stuff, but what? Mm-hmm. How long, and obviously it's because, you know, we really started connecting with New Zodiac, especially with the podcast and meeting you. What was the brainchild for the New Zodiacs? Was that something that was held in your head for years and years and years, even before you did the other creator-owned stuff? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I was always fascinated with the Zodiac. You know, I can show you sketchbooks I did. You know, I kept most of the you know, the comic book sketchbooks that, um, I was working on since I was 10. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I can show you, um, sketchbook drawings that go way back, you know, regarding the fascination with the, with the Zodiac, with astrology, with, uh, astronomy, with space, that kind of stuff. So it was something that was always in my brain. It was an idea that I always liked and, kind of developed in different ways over the years. Um, what led to this version of the new Zodiacs is essentially I have, I have like creative ADD really. And hmm. so, you know, one day I'll come up with a great story for this character and the next day I'll be bored with it and, and want to work on something else. And so, you know, if you gave me an unlimited budget today, I could probably launch my own, comic book company that's comparable with marvel's output i just would have to hire a staff you know i must have about 25 to 30 properties that with property with proper funding they're ready to go right so is that so so the new zodiacs was me going okay using the model of the silver age marvel universe um, the Marvel Silver Age, they produced 13 titles mm-hmm. in what I would consider the height, you know, before they became, before they overcame the industry and took over, became number one over DC. Right. The Silver Age Marvel titles, there were 13 of them. And so I thought, wouldn't it be cool, you know, to loosely correspond the Zodiacs, because there's 12 signs of the Zodiac. You know, if I, with an unlimited budget, you could have 12 monthly titles and maybe a team book. So you'd have mm-hmm. 13. So I kind of modeled the new Zodiacs uh, against that. Okay. And, um, you know, not having the funds or the resources to kind of create 13 books, I figured, okay, well, let's start with one series. Let's mm-hmm. just start with one book and kind of roll them out one by one organically. Mm-hmm. That was the idea. And you kind of definitely... So I took, 
You definitely uh, sorry. Sorry, you definitely tailored or uh, gravitated right to the Liberator. Well, the Liberator is a concept that uh, originally started in megahertz, mm-hmm. um, and it was something that uh, again it was. When I say I don't have a style, it kind of suits with writing as well. Like when I was writing megahertz, there were certain concepts and characters that were kind of speaking harder or felt more interesting to me than the character that I was working on. So the Liberator, there's a Liberator prototype, what I would call a prototype for the Liberator in megahertz. And um, over the years, I developed him into something that I thought was a little bit more uh, appropriate for what I thought the character would want to do. And uh, so he was the guy that, you know, creatively, I thought I could do the most with the fastest. So that's why um, New Zodiac's the first graphic novel is kind of liberator heavy, right? Yes. And I love it. not because yeah, I'm, not cause I'm in it. <laughs> not because I'm in it, but <laughs> yeah, not because you're in it. It's because no. you love the character, yes, right? Yes, definitely. Well, I think that's probably cool. why we, when we talked, that was the character, not because of the other ones. Because you would, when we started talking about this, this was what a six months process. I think we've even talked to, about this many times on 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 past episodes of Inkcast that we were just spitballing. You became a podcast fan and and listening yeah. to our show, but many other podcasts, and we just started spitballing this idea. And I, with this way, with the the curfew and the way corporate America was with with the Liberator and what he stood for, I'm like, it's airwaves. This is cool. It's up and coming podcast. Yeah. Why not incorporate yeah. something into that? You know, even though I knew what the other characters were as we were talking about them, and you're still fleshing them out a little bit. This one just gravitated, going, this is what I I, I can see this happening in the real world to a point. You know. Um, there, there obviously isn't a person riding the internet or the airwaves, but there are, there are things going, there are messages being put on airwaves and whatnot. You know what I'm saying? So there's embed codes and stuff like that. So that was, it's like, there is some real life in this. There's some truth into this, into this fictional story. So that's why when you and I started talking about it. And like I've said before, I'm like, I didn't think anything was going to happen. I, it's just a two-hour conversation, two, two friends shooting a shit, and then we're brainstorming, getting some ideas out. And it was a creative, fun conversation. Six months later, you're like, hey, look at this sketch. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I'm in a comic book. Yeah, you there know? may be people who haven't read or listened to the uh, – haven't read New Zodiac to yeah. listen to the podcast. It's the, the Liberator is – um, he's a hacker who accesses the web psychically with his mind. So he steals information from the, uh, from the info rich and he gives to the info poor, he steals data. And so I thought it was a cool idea. There's a storyline running in the liberator storyline where, um, there are some urban scavengers who kind of operate, you know, in a society that's heavily, heavily monitored by uh, you know corporate interests and government interests, they hide their communication in a podcast. And uh, I forget whose idea it was. Was it yours or mine? But, I, I uh, think it was mine as far as the podcast concerned. But as far as anything else, obviously, I think <laughs> I think it was mutual too. We uh, we talked about how cool it would be because technically it is the first time a podcaster was featured in a story. I mean, there's been cameos and whatnot, but being part of the story. But at the same time, uh, uh, where do I want to go with this? Oh, that I think we also said 
it's also first time when we're using actual dialogue from an actual episode yeah. from our podcast. So we kind of yeah. bridge the the fourth wall in a way, if you if you sort of by having our dialogue put in text. So I thought, and I think that was a, a mutual kind of thing with ours. But after that, it was all you. I am not taking yeah. credit for t- getting my fingers cut because <laughs> I did not agree to that. <laughs> well, what do you see? What happened? I don't want to die, but I also, yeah, hey, hey, I don't want to die either. I want to be, I'm not, and I don't even know if I'm a good guy yet. So, you know, I'm, I'm skirting a line here. So it'll be kind of cool. That's the kind of cool (laughs) thing. You're the Han Solo. You're the mystery man. Yes, I am the mystery man. Um, But now the issues, uh, one of your, I forgot what issue, but issue sold out at distribution with this book. Um, Yep. First issue sold out. I'm 100% convinced if I had retitled issues two, three, and four into number one issues, I'm entirely convinced they would have sold out as well. Could be. Um, but uh, I was gung-ho about doing 100 and 125 issues of New Zodiacs, mm-hmm. and issue 10 would have been the first appearance of this person. It would have been a collector's item gem. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Issue 16 would have been when the first time these two crossed over. It would have been a collector's item gem. But I didn't realize that people felt the need. Just about every single person I talked to in my travels since Newsy came out, uh, they did not feel comfortable buying anything unless they started at the beginning. Okay. And that, so that um, they I wanted num- they wanted number one issues, and okay. uh, I was giving them two, three, and four, and they were like, "I want number one." So, okay, right, right. No, so I understand I sh- it. Should I? Each one of those issues, issue two was the first appearance of the lion. Issue three was the first appearance of uh, cricket, the new Pisces. Right. Issue four was the origin story of Malta. Yeah. Um, they were all first appearances, and they didn't. You didn't need to have read one, two, or three to have, to enjoy four. Right. But that's not how people kind of well, you did have perceive to, did, things. But the Liberator story was continual through all those, correct? So you had, you it, was, would, it was a through story, but you didn't need it, right? I mean, right. the, no, the really. Malta story was not directly related correct. to the Liberator story. It's like the old 70s so. uh, backup stories in Marvel. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So I can yep. understand that. So, so um, is that why you went people, to, that's why you decided to go to a trade? Yeah, so I th- think the trades seem to be the way to go. Um, the trades sell better at shows than the co- single issues do. Mm-hmm. Um, the single issues kind of seem to appeal to collectors. And um, people, even though the single issues were less expensive than the trades, uh, I found that most people are happy to spend 20 bucks on a trade than spend... Four bucks on a comic book, and, and you get it. So all, you can't you argue a, with what the people want, right? And you get the whole story pretty much in one book instead of getting four or five floppies. Yeah, yeah. And, and floppies, yep. everyone are what the weekly, com- monthly comic books are. We call them floppies. Um, I don't think everybody. Well, knows I don't that. call them floppies. I know, but... <laughs> I know you don't, but that's that is an industry. That is like a dirty word. To it me. is not. It's an industry. That's an industry name, isn't that? No, I thought funny books was derogatory, but flop. Is so uh, so disrespectful. Well, they're not stiffies, so I mean, <laughs> what do you, you want to do? What's wrong with single issues oh, or I, I just know. comic, I, I, comic I, books? I, yeah, it is. It's comic books, floppies, single issues. 
uh, trades, graphic novels, you know. They, they, all ha- they all have their names in place, I guess you would say. So. Ah! Drives me bananas. Next, <laughs> next subject. Next subject. So, so, yeah, so I'm kind of in my spare time. I'm working on the next volume of New Zodiacs. Okay. And, uh, I wish I could spend 20 hours a day on it. Of course. It, but uh, at and the moment, I can't. You, you're a commercial artist, obviously. That's your day job as well. That's my day job, nice. yeah. And um, I just got an email from my editor, just so you know, so I can officially announce it oh, on your sweet. podcast. Oh, sweet. We got uh, we need the little breaking news report. Yeah, where's your soundboard? Yeah, right. You're breaking. You're breaking news here on the rant with DW. Well, so what do you got for us? Yeah, yeah, that's right here now. Why now? What? So what's so what's the news, Joe? So I can announce that I'm the artist of a graphic novel series that's going to be published by Simon and Schuster. And it features the very famous aqua aquanaut family uh, of, uh, you know what an aquanaut is, right? Yes. Undersea explorers, right? Well, uh, Fabian Cousteau is the uh, guy. He's a very famous aquanaut. He's the grandson of Jacques Cousteau. Do you remember Jacques Cousteau? Oh, my gosh. Jacques Cousteau is iconic, yes. I remember watching his series in TV shows all the time. Yeah, so Fabien is going to be essentially uh, the next big uh, educational adventure character. Nice. I'm doing the uh, I'm doing the graphic novel adaptations of his adventures. Now, is this uh, educational? Is it uh, funny or uh, not funny, but like fantasy, fictional, adventure type, or how does it, how would you explain um, this? Well, I, I would consider it a fictional account, kind of like an adventure style, but based on you know actual adventures that he or the writer James Fraioli, uh, James is the writer of the story. Um, they're based loosely on Fabienne's adventures, I imagine. Oh, very cool. The first, yeah, um, the first volume is about great white sharks. So um, I would consider it like entertainment slash education, like uh, uh, like entertainment first. I'm picturing like a, then, I'm picturing like a Johnny Quest feel. <laughs> yeah, baby. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We love Johnny Quest. Oh my God, Johnny Quest rocks. I mean, uh, uh, the, right. the comic book or the cartoons were awesome. Love Johnny Quest. You know, we need to do a podcast where we go through every episode of Johnny Quest. Uh, does this also, you want to do this also with every episode, every issue of Spider-Man 2? Yes, I was going to so mention this, that is, too. Is this your creative ADD kicking in? Because now you got me running, <laughs> now you got me hosting 15 podcasts a week now. You can do it. Yeah, yeah. You can do it, buddy. Uh, I'd on. actually, I'd actually, I mean... Spider-Man would be good because I haven't revisited those issues and I wasn't a huge, uh, huge follower of his history. You know, I mean, like back then, the Prowler was one of my favorite characters. Don't ask me why, because he was a joke. Uh, I love the Prowler. Most people think he was a joke, but I thought he was cool. Um, Obi Brown, he's a great character. um, But Johnny Quest, I'll watch every episode of classic. I don't even know if we can find every episode of classic Johnny Quest, but that would be really cool. I got him on DVD, bud. All right. I guess I, I guess I guess I'm coming over. Yes, come on over. We'll do this. Tell, tell Sonia I'll bring food and uh, we're cooking. We're going to be here for a couple days. <laughs> and of course, that'll spin off into the Hanna Barbera Super Universe. Oh, there you with, go. Uh, Birdman and Space Ghost. I could never get. I, I, trio. I could never get into Birdman, Space Ghost, another one of my favorites. Uh, ah! Yeah. I I wish I wish though Space Ghost was. I want a serious Space Ghost. 
How cool would that be? Space it was corny. Oh, Come on, the t- we got to do the podcast. The, the, the twins, like the, the the Space Ghost version of the Wonder Twins and their monkey. Come on, it was campy. True, Jan and Jace. It with was the, campy uh, with blip. I want it's a ser- I want like Space Ghost, like Batman. I want a serious <laughs> Space Ghost. I want some serious ass kicking. I don't want stupid jokes. I don't want puns. <laughs> I want a serious Space Ghost. I think that would be really cool. Um, I. I can't argue with that take. It would be cool because his villains were fairly badass. Yes, they were. Totally, yes, they were. They could totally uh, withstand that kind of interpretation. And he, and he, and he can't have that uh, that uh, game show announcer voice either because that that's just a, <laughs> that was a no. now uh, Mark Hamill, oh. not Mark Hamill, but uh, who would be a good voice for Space Ghost? Yeah, I mean. Uh, uh, the guy actually who plays uh, on Wings, the lead actor on Wings, I can't remember his name, but he's played Superman uh, many times in the oh, animated, yeah. animated universe. He would be a good space ghost. Uh, what about Kevin Conroy? Is nah, he, uh, is he, listen, gonna, is he, he can't permanently mix. Batman? Yeah, but you would. That's the problem. Yeah. You, 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 and it would be, and it would be. Uh, a cop out. It would be an, e- and it would make it look like it's a cash grab that you were gonna put Kevin Conroy on Space Ghost, and you'll never see Space Ghost. When yeah. you close your eyes, it's always gonna be Batman. I mean, you. Yeah. That will never change. That will never change. I uh, can go there. Him and Michael. Um, him and Michael Keaton are my two favorite Batman. I mean, they are it uh-huh. for me. Hmm. Um, this is a discussion you'll all have to tune into during the podcast. <laughs> Space Ghost. Yeah. All right. Space Pod. Space Pod. Space Pod. No oh boy. Pod Ghost. Here we go. Uh, for me, Space Ghost is Batman in space. So I don't know if that's the official okay. interpretation. Okay. So uh, it doesn't it doesn't uh, bother me that someone like Conroy would would do the voice, mm-hmm. but it's certainly worth further thought because Gary Owens has since passed away. And if right. you were going to relaunch a, a, a space ghost cartoon, you would need someone cast in the role. Definitely. I mean, uh, was it, is it Jen, Jensen, Jensen Engel? He's uh, he played green lantern uh, a few times in the animated series. He's uh, on supernatural. Uh, mm-hmm. He would be another good voice, you know, somebody a little bit younger, not so much of a baritone voice, but he'd be pretty cool. Okay. Um, okay. But uh, I like the baritone though, for him. I, oh, I know. He's got the barreled chest. I get it. I know. Yeah, I know. totally. I know. Totally. So going through your, as we were winding down a little bit, because um, I, I, I know you're a busy man, uh, <laughs> with the state of comics, and this could be a long answer, and I don't mind staying on. This is what I love about talking <laughs> with you. We'll, we'll, we could go. We could do a podcast for three hours nonstop. Um, uh-huh. Seeing the changes in the industry since you've you've been on the writing end, the 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 drawing end, the publishing end, you know, the printer. Um, after the '90s, obviously there was a lull. Now, in the last 15 years, well, we were talking here. Um, we got Marvel Cinematic Universe finally hitting the big screen, hitting general audiences. Who the hell is Iron Man? Now he is like their premier character, even in mm-hmm. possibly still in the in the comic book world. He wasn't really their premier character back then. I mean, I don't think I would ever consider him a, a C-rated character, but definitely mm-hmm. a B-rated, high Bs. Um, yeah. How do you feel this has affected you as a creator, and how do you think this is affecting the industry? 
You mean the popularity of the movies? Yes. Or, or just the influencing of your writing or anything that has this has this new insurgence of pop culture and we cannot call it a fad at this point. It's been 15 years and it still seems to be going where no no bubble bursting at any time soon. How mm-hmm. did, has that affected you in your writing? Has it affected New Zodiac? And, you know, what do you think the culture overall is now? Or how do you feel it affected the comic book culture as, uh, overall? Um... Oh, this is, yeah, that's a heavy question. You know, we could start with my initial sure. instinct is that I'm a comic book artist, as we've discovered by this podcast. Is I'm a I'm a guy who tells stories with pictures, uh, with words attached to the pictures. Uh, that, that's something that I grew up with. That's something that I was instantly entertained by. I'm not an aspiring movie director looking to launch my property into movies. You know, I'm a comic book artist and um, I will always be doing comic books, whether they're popular or not. You know, there's something something else that I learned in my life is that, you know, even when it was at its lowest in popularity terms, it was still something I loved and it was still something that I was interested in and it was still something that was a creative outlet for me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if if New Zodiacs were to, you know, if I were to get a phone call tomorrow and New Zodiacs was going to be an animated series or uh, a television a Netflix series or a movie series or whatever, if that was going to happen tomorrow, I'd be like, hey, awesome, let's go. Um, but at the same time, I would also be hopefully publishing comic books on a regular basis, you know? And so the movies, uh, you know, the options for the movies become a financial source to publish comic books. Right. That's my thing. And, you know, maybe the comic book form, well, actually I think comics are in their best shape that they've been in a really long time. I think comics will be around for a long time. Um, it wasn't always the case, you know, maybe 20 years ago. Oh, you think they're better um, They're better now than they are 20 years ago? Uh, comics as a form is in, is in better shape. You know, I think 20 years ago with the near bankruptcy of Marvel Comics, you know, Disney could have bought Marvel Comics for like pennies on the dollar, right? Right. So, you know, big corps were not interested in comic books or anything that was inside the comic books. Uh, they had to wait for, you know, certain people to introduce comics to the corporations in a way that would make them worth billions of dollars. So for me, that's not an issue. For me, I'm a comic book guy. And so I'll always be doing comics in some way. Do um, have, have the movies affected your your approach or no? No, I don't I don't think so. I mean, okay. other than other than they've created a place or a possibility whereby, you know, if I were to say option the rights to one of my characters, that would allow me a certain level of financial freedom where you could get regular comic books from me. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Instead <laughs> instead of me kind of self-funding at the moment you know, if I were, you know, and that's the majority of Image Comics, if I understand the deal, you know, most Image Comics are self-funded, right? Uh, uh, Robert Kirkman did uh, Walking Dead for eight years on his own dime. 
until right. you know until the TV show took off. Correct. Yeah, I mean, um, and he was so, struggling for a while. I mean, he did some Marvel yeah. stuff. Yeah. So, um, you know, so the movies and the popularity of the of comics as a as a source for story content um, to be adapted into film or TV or whatever um, that that's a that creates an option whereby you can you know do better financially and in my case I would just publish more comics. Mm-hmm. Does that help you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. Does that help I mean, answer your question? Oh, yeah. Definitely. I mean, I, I think. I mean, I've talked to comic book store owners. I've talked to mm-hmm. writers. I've talked to you. I've talked to many. As you know, we have many mutual friends in the industry, and mm-hmm. there's always a little bit different take on everything. You know, uh, some feel that uh, within the next ten years we might not even see paper comics anymore, and uh, I'll be yeah. damned if I ever see that. That's just BS. But. You know, I'm not a I've digit- been kind of locked in a hole working on this Cousteau book for the last six months. What is the general sense? Do you you've been you've had a few um, interviews lately, right? Yeah, but they what? none of those were part of the comic book realm. But it's just, I see. But I just see. be just doing just being around it. You know, in the last couple of years, you know, everybody's saying 10, 15 years we're going to be digital iPads, and that's it. That's what people want: immediate gratification. Mm-hmm. Um, your Wednesday night will now be your instead of shopping. Or going to the store, you're gonna do your digital download. I'm, I mean, I'm not even that old. I'm 47, but I'm a I'm a traditionalist. Mm-hmm. I like having something tangible in my hand. I like reading it. That's just the way Me it too. is. Me too. You know, I mean, if that's I always the, thought that. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I'm kind of with you. I'm I'm totally with you on that. I, I always thought that the opportunity was there for a digital format to replace the the monthly installment. You mm-hmm. know when. When we, you and I went to comic shops on Wednesdays, um, we would pay twenty five cents to four ninety nine for a comic book. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, essentially those were monthly installments on a longer form story. You know, um, and I always thought the idea would have been great for for digital to kind of take over that medium. Like in other words, pay twenty five cents for the latest issue of Spider Man. And you would sell, you know, ideally, let's say a million digital downloads at mm-hmm. 25 cents a piece. And that you could bring that kind of mass consumption back to the medium the way it was back in when we were younger. Well, they, um, I don't see that happening. Do you? Well, we, we don't we don't see any of the stats, sadly, but mm-hmm. digital is kicking butt. I mean, mm-hmm. as far as what it? it really is. I mean, <clears throat> it's obviously still there. I mean, and. You know, you can buy them. What the sad thing is, you can you can only buy them most of the time unless they're running specials through Comicology. Mm-hmm. Now Marvel has its own app, DC has its own app. I think Image does mm-hmm. too now. You know, they're mm-hmm. only a buck cheaper than the paper one. So I'm like, well, uh, I'm like, why? I'm not gonna. I, I've used digital for research if I'm doing a, an art piece or if I need. Mm-hmm. I'm doing an article or I'm just or I want a backstory. You know, like uh, I've been. You know, if you're watching Netflix or you're watching, like I've just started watching Cloak and Dagger now on uh, Freeform. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm gonna do because there's no comic book shop open at one o'clock in the morning. You know, so I yeah. will go and do it. And I, you know, I've read a couple Cloak and Dagger stories through Comicsology just to get a quick backstory. But it's not something that I want to be like, oh, my phone bleeps on a Wednesday at nine a.m. Guess what? Your six books are here. That's not. <laughs> you know that's that's not what I want to do. I want I want I want to be able to sit down on the couch or sit in my chair, 
have a beer, whatever, and enjoy a book. I I just, Mm -hmm. swiping left or right to see my pages move just doesn't cut it for me, but... I, yeah, but it is the industry. Obviously, it's there. It's they're adapting, and you can't knock them for that. And mm-hmm. it makes them money. It's just for me. I it's a, I just don't. I just don't care for it. You know, it serves a, yeah. a purpose for the younger generation. I just hope we that we don't see it as archaic. I mean, we know magazines. A lot of popular magazines have stopped printing a couple years ago. You know, now it's all digital. Mm-hmm. So newspapers mm-hmm. are dying out. So, you know. Will comic books be the very last? I think if anything goes, the comic books will be the last, the last thing. I mean, everything else I think will fall before comic books, as far as you know, paper and print. Um, if it, if it falls at all, uh, I think you're right there. I think you're right there. Uh, I think I don't think books will ever go away in the same way that radio never went away when mm-hmm. visual media came right, around. Right. You know, radio is still around. I think we'll always have books. Um, and as long as I'm alive, you'll always have comic books. Uh, I have, you know, now that I'm in the kind of, I don't know what you would call it, the book publishing world, you know, I have heard that um, graphic novels and cookbooks are the only thing, only mm-hmm. only areas of book publishing that are growing. Right, yeah, and graphic novels, I know, from some of our uh, international listeners who listen to the the network, uh, they don't buy floppies. Excuse me, funny books, comic books, whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. They buy trades because it's easier to get abroad. You know. Yeah. Um, so that's what you get. So, so you'll. So get- wouldn't it be cool to every every month or every two months to buy a graphic novel Spider Man? Right. Oh, well, they, they or in Avengers, you can do right. it much easier with like a team book. You know, it's well, like in, a, in a, the Avengers, you buy a graphic novel um, on a monthly basis or a bi-monthly basis, right. and it's got an Avengers story, it's got a Cap story, it's got an Iron Man story, all in. I one I mean, they book. somewhat do that now. Binge. They somewhat do that now, but not for every title. I mean, like Metal mm-hmm. Metal just came out with their first series of graphic novels. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's it's a, it's a huge popular comic book single issue comic book mm-hmm. they're gonna do it i'm gonna buy the trade yeah. just because there's some added stuff in there and i missed a couple issues so and i'm yeah. not it's not a collector thing for me as much as i'd like it i i'm more of a it, i'm more of a completist so it bothers me when i'm missing an issue it's not so much that i missed the story yeah. as well because i can get the trade but i'll be buying the trade it's mm-hmm. it's just a little bit easier for me if i if i could get it at the shop then i would get it at the shop but i missed out on it so it was you know, and the price goes up on those, as you well as you know. You know when they're, <laughs> when they're they're four ninety nine. Thirty bucks for yeah, metal. I'm yeah, holding yeah, yeah. metal in my hand right now. Thirty <laughs> um, bucks. I, I'm like, oh, I, I'm not, snaps. I'm not spending thirty bucks <laughs> on that unless it's something I really, really, really want. You know, but um, I'm not yeah. much of a collector. I mean, I have some awesome key issues on the wall. You know, uh, right now I have the first. Uh, First appearance of Beta Ray Bill. I have the first appearance of him, who is Adam Warlock, who may make it into oh, sure. who may make it into the Marvel uh, DC uni- or Marvel universe. Uh, I have the death- oh, it's a matter of time, right? Yeah, it's got to be. I mean, the cocoon's there, and he is one of the major uh, major characters in the in Infinity Gauntlet storyline. So, and in the Infinity exactly. War. So, um, I have uh, signed by uh, George Perez, uh, the death of the Flash, Crisis. Uh, on Infinite Earths, I have uh, oh, cool. the death of Warbird, uh, signed by Chris Claremont. Um, I have the first appearance of Deadpool. I have the second appearance of Deadpool. Um, I have the first appearance of Wonder Man. 
So, you know, those some of those oh and I just got the first I just bought the first appearance of Firestorm. So you know those things I like. Now is that because you're speculating who was no, going because to be Firestorm, in the next movie? No, because Firestorm was already should have blown up a little bit considering he was on the show, but it wasn't. It wasn't the. Um, it wasn't Ronnie Raymond and uh, the Professor. So right. uh, it was, but then they changed it, so it's different to the newer Flashstorm or uh, Firestorm. I liked it because. My first experience of Firestorm was in Super Friends and Justice League, you know. So yeah. when I saw it, I'm like, oh, my God, what is that? That's so cool. Once again, another character that I that's not Superman, Batman, or Spider-Man. So yep. I've always been a fan of the – never really followed the comics too much because, like, sadly, like Ghost Rider, you know, it goes for <laughs> 10, 15 issues, then dies. And it comes back of the reboot. Yeah. And then, sadly, yeah. they, they couldn't handle that character on its solo book. But I wanted the first appearance. And I got a great yeah. deal. Uh, Mike Zapsik actually got me the deal at uh, Empire State Comic Con a few months ago. Uh, I'm like, he was showing me his find. And I'm like, you know what I'm looking for? Firestorm number one. He goes, it's right over here. I go, no way. He goes, like, come on, let's walk over. <laughs> so we asked the guy. Mike, he's still shopping. Huh? Oh, Mike, Mike shops at every con, every con. So, <laughs> That's great. So uh, if people aren't aware who Mike Zapsik is, he is a, on AMC's comic book, man. Uh, and uh, honored to say good friend. But So we go over to the, to the vendor, and uh, Mike's like, do you have uh, Firestorm number one? He's like, no, I don't think I have it. And it took Mike five <laughs> minutes to find Here comes Mike stacks. In. <laughs> I mean, stacks of books. I mean, this wasn't just three long boxes. We were talking about a hundred lawn boxes in in here in this vendor. And it took him five minutes. He goes, "Here you go." And then he goes, oh, "And great. just so you know, this man right here shouldn't have to pay cover price. I hope you give him a good deal." And and, <laughs> and walked away. So I got I got ten bucks off the off the top. So I thought it was pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So Mike is a comic. He's a superhero. He's the locator. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah he's the locator. All right, but oh, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, but you know, the you and I have talked. You know, the state of the movies, I think, uh, definitely influenced me. Seeing you know all the way from Batman, Bat, uh, Tim Burton's Batman. I mean, I think I will never have an experience, maybe except for maybe the Avengers, the first time seeing the, the Avengers on screen. But getting that that thrill, the music of Danny Elfman, and seeing the guy that I've been reading in the four color pages for years come on the big screen, that was like a define. That, that was, was a good one, time. That was my defining moment. I'm like, this is awesome. We've made it. Obviously, it took many more years than that. But you know, and then of obviously seeing Avengers on there, I thought was really cool. Now I'm kind of burnt. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I love the movies and I enjoy them and I think it's cool. But now I'm like, I don't rush to the movie theater to go see Guardians of the Galaxy. I wait for it to come out on, you know, which kind of saddens me because that's an experience that I'm missing out on. But I'm like, eh, okay, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, Star Wars movies, one every next four years. Uh, why? I mean, as much as we hate waiting, there's something to be said about having the mystique of waiting to see. Now, I, I can barely get over the hype of the movie before the next yeah. one's out, you know. Yeah. So My thick. Um, I think you and I have a similar, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Take stance. We have a similar, we're kind of hooked on that. 
we're we're kind of jonesing for that experience. The nostalgia, we had, the nostalgia, uh, as a kid, right? And right. that kind of sense of one wonder, or that twist, or that reveal. I've got three million dollars worth of metal right. in my skeleton, in my skeleton, right. in my body. Exactly. You know, people, we're look. I'm not looking to see that exact scene in the theater on a movie screen. I'm looking for that feeling. Right. And so when when you've got people who are adapting stuff that gave us that feeling and it feels like the same exact thing, you don't get that feeling anymore. Right. right? It's like, Correct. oh, this reminds me of that movie that I saw where I got that feeling. Right. It doesn't give me that feeling. You know what I mean? I oh, think I people so. are misinterpreting nostalgia for getting psyched, getting passionate. Right. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm 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 kind of nostalgic. And uh, I see that in a lot of different fields. Right. But I I, 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 I get a little I get a little nostalgic. You know. I mean, I think I, I try to reach back to that moment. But you know, but at the same time, I want to be psyched. And maybe it's where we we know more. Maybe we're smarter. We're not young kids, so we're we're not as duped. I mean, I it's like I I see the story, and sadly, in 20 minutes, the way my brain works, I've already worked out the ending. And nine times out of ten, oh, yeah. and nine times out of ten, I'm right, and I'm like, shit. But that's just the way my mind works now, and I'm just like, son of yeah, a bitch, yeah. I just ruined it for myself, you know, kind of thing. Well, nine out of ten times, I'll tell you which way they're going to twist it. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then, and then they're going to, it's going in this direction, it's going in direction A, but I'll even tell you B and the direction B and C they're going to go in. Right. To and before they reveal, they're going and back I'm not, to A. Yeah, I'm not insulting so, the writers. I, I by any means. I mean, there's some great. I mean, the the Marvel movies are great writing, but it, it it's almost like it's that. It almost feels like the general audience template. I mean, obviously you have to have Act One, Act Three, you know, and so on, and and progress. You got to have the climax, the the dramatic ending, whatnot. I mean, obviously there is some template, but the way this seems to be working, it's like boom, 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 boom. No matter if I watch Age of Ultron or Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah, the the humor is different, the scenery is different, but it seems like that cookie cutter template. And uh, very well said. You know, and that kind of bothers me. I mean. Mm -hmm doesn't bother them they're making a ton of money obviously and don't yeah. get me wrong i enjoyed these movies but they're now they're not exciting i mean thor ragnarok i gave a thumbs down i thought it was terrible but you but, gave it a thumbs down oh my god wow. my, you're like the only person i know who, who thor's hates, not who an, didn't like that movie thor is not an idiot and a comedian i i mean come on that's, well said. I mean, this don't I totally this, agree. If an editor saw you put this in a comic book, he'd tell you to drag your ad. Did he? That's the other thing. I mean, obviously, when you're imprinting or you're trying to adapt to movies, you don't have to worry about so much what the character did for the last 30, 40 years in a comic book. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if this story came out and your editor said, Thor would never say that. Thor doesn't act like a doof. He doesn't say this. He d it's not. Oh. oh, it's a. We are friends from work. Yes, it was kind of cool that he said that, but at the same time, I'm like, that's the corniest shit I've ever seen. And Thor would never say that. He's not a jokester. Forget about forget about 50 years of comic book history. Right, exactly. Let's talk about 10 years of movie history. Right. When has Thor ever been a joker like that? Exactly, exactly. I, I mean, I, I mean, I know you have to have humor in it. I get it. 
the Hulk humor in all the movies is good. I like that because you can do that with the Hulk. He can be, uh, he can be Professor uh, Professor Hulk. He could be Mister Fix It. He mm-hmm. can be the Gray Hulk. He can, That's the way the character is. So there's, and he can be the dumb Hulk. So the comedy mm-hmm. there is good, but Thor is not like that. He's a pompous, mm-hmm. arrogant asshole mm-hmm. at times, but he's very mm-hmm. confident. This this Thor mm-hmm. here was not confident whatsoever. I know he lost his hammer. I get that. That's part of his story and being unworthy, mm-hmm. but. It just it just seemed seemed too comedic. It it was like Guardians of the Galaxy one and two are awesome. Let's throw that mix in. Let's throw that into the formula and do it that way. And I just didn't I just didn't buy it. You know I, I don't know. And uh, I, look, I totally agree. You know when I separate my brain and my fanboy past, mm-hmm. and I watch the movie, I can have fun with it just the same way that I can go on a roller coaster. And walk off and go, okay, that was fun. What's for lunch? Right. So for me, Ragnarok was, okay, that was fun. What's for lunch? Right. And it, it doesn't pay for me to think any harder about it than right. that because then everything will start unraveling on me. Oh, of course. And, so and, like, and I try to you, say- You've definitely thought about it. <laughs> more. I, 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 let's put it this way. Don't think that hard about them anymore. <laughs> well, I, no, I don't. That Just wasn't that, enjoy. <laughs> but that wasn't that wasn't even thinking hard. I mean, that was literally yeah. me walking to my car. <laughs> literally, that's what it was. It's yeah. not like I was breaking the plot right. down or anything because it is what it is. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I'd rather seen Beta Ray Bill in the Silver Surfer. Hence, that's what yeah. was going on through Planet Hulk. But you know, yeah. but that's and uh, all this happening when the goddess of death is destroying your homeworld yes you know it's like wow this is the funny part yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah exactly um, kind of weird. but you know the yeah. last can i let's let's uh let's twist it to the more positive when was the last time you got that kind of that feeling we're talking about in movies i'll tell you mine it was the lord of the rings it was the first the first lord of the rings movie and the third one Really, and and this this isn't about for me. This isn't about ooh story structure is necessary. Blah blah blah. This was about characters and spectacle coming together within the story formula and and entertaining the hell out of me to the point where I didn't even though I knew what was going to happen. I didn't care. Right. I just enjoyed the ride. Well, that's an iconic storyline. That's something like everybody, maybe maybe everybody knows what's going to happen, but you want to see it happen. We read it. Yeah. We had it in our own mind's eye. The details eye. and the characters and yes. the casting all kind of came together, and the interpretation to film Correct. all came together for me to the point where I was like reliving my D and D days. I was like, oh my god, this right. is great. Awesome. This is awesome. Um, I had never seen it this way, but the way they interpreted it is visually outstanding, and it got me jonesing to read Lord of the Rings again. Nice. Um, mine was. Do you remember the last time? Mine was uh, Iron Man One. It was the first Iron Man. Yeah, the first Iron Man movie was mine. I mean, obviously, Batman, Tim Burton's Batman was the very first time that I got. Oh my God! If we're right. talking superhero movies, but the next one for me, well, you know what? No, well, I, mean, I can't. Know what? Know what? No, uh, yeah. Oh, even still, the most recent. I mean, Iron Man one. I gotta say, seeing you know Robert Downey and just seeing how well they did the the transformation from him making the original armor, making it into present day, mm-hmm. uh, fitting it into this this you know generation or you know decade, whatever, and then the advancement. I thought was really cool. 
Um, mm-hmm. Other than that, I mean, the X Men don't. None of them. I mean, all the Avengers did. Yeah. Obviously, the Avengers did because seeing the team for the first time on the screen was cool. But just seeing mm-hmm. the technology and what they could do with Iron Man, I thought th- mm-hmm. th- that's when I was like, oh wow, this is now this is cool. This is like, yes. this is this this is the bee's knees. This is this is it. This is the shit. So yeah. you know, before that, uh, nothing recent. But before that was Blade. I've always been a huge Blade fan, and I think some people forget Blade after Batman. Blade still did a huge number, and you have to give it credit for the comic book movie realm. I mean, that Blade one and two were very successful, and uh, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't know that character was a comic book character. You know, so you think that's why Blade they don't lump Blade into the comic book genre in general because what do you mean people didn't know? Yeah, well, yeah. when you hear about it wasn't advertised. You know, Marvel it was well, it wasn't advertised with the big Marvel beginning right. there, and it wasn't. And Marvel was really small in the poster. It was more Anne Rice was kicking ass with vampires, and Marvel's like, hey. We got one. He's pretty kick-ass. Yeah. So let's see make what a, you can do with this. Exactly. <laughs> and let's make a serious one. Now, hopefully, they'll come on to Netflix and give us the dark version that we want. Um, like I said, I feel the Netflix series is the Marvel Knights imprint, uh, mm-hmm. the TV version of the Marvel Knights imprint for the comic books. So, you mm-hmm. know, we'll see what happens. I mean, I it sucks that I don't get that crazy about anything more. But like I said, I think it's just because. You know, we're, we're consumed with the day job and the trials and tribulations of are we going to pay our rent and are we are my bills mm-hmm. going to get paid and I got to do this job and, you know, the kids screaming, you know, the wonderment and the joy has kind of been sapped out of us with, every you know, growing up, you know, the, the days of the yeah. sandbox or the sandlot are, are over, you know, and I, which sucks because I, you know, we always want to, no matter how, it's funny how we want to. We want to rush to grow up because the first thing is when I grow up, I'm going to be able to spend, I can stay up past 10 o'clock and my mom can't tell me. Now it's like, <laughs> I wish I was a kid again because I'm tired of all these bills and sometimes <laughs> I'd rather go to bed before 10 o'clock. So what Could was I the rush? <laughs> yeah. What was the rush? You know? So yeah. we, in a, in, a, in a way, I think we're all trying to be kids. I think you as a creator and doing comic books, I think that's your, that's your, you know, that's your the kid in you inside creating. Mm-hmm. It's not the adult inside. So that's your way of b- having an outlet. I mean, doing the podcast is not my child thing. I mean, we didn't have podcasts when we were younger. So, right, you know, right. So there, you know, there's you know, getting a movie or getting a storyline that it, maybe I'm looking too hard. Maybe I should just mm-hmm. let it happen. I I don't know. I just the, it's just not as don't get me wrong. They're still enjoyable, but mm-hmm. it's just not the same. You know. I, like I said, I think we we tried to figure out the story before it's over, and or we're looking at the you know we're critiquing it, going well. Like I said, Thor wouldn't do that. Iron Man's armor mm-hmm. doesn't ever do that in the comic book, and Thor wouldn't you mm-hmm. know, and whoever Captain America would never do that. So I think that we kind of maybe subconsciously ruined the wonderment on our own, you know, for ourselves. I don't know. Yeah, there was a great moment in uh, Winter Soldier where there was uh, a fight scene. Uh, ship yes um and even though even though it was the furthest thing from shot for shot comic book adaptation it had the feel of a jack kirby captain america comic book where cap is just freaking diving into an army of villains or terrorists or whatever and and just cleaning house and at the time it would be jack kirby he would be jumping in throwing a shield in a in a, in a room full of nazis 
Yeah. yeah. And um, the, my favorite part of Civil War was the uh, the opening scene, the Avengers in action kind right. of going up right. against cross crossbones. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's that is the um, that is the kind of how do I say this? That's the shit, man. That's that <laughs> that's all you is need the to say. <laughs> proper adaptation of comic books to film. To film, you know, it, it, you know, the, to see the Avengers go into um, battle together as a team, and and not only that, but at the time of Civil War, you know, it's not the original team anymore. You know, they had replacements the falcon came in and stuff like that so so there's a little bit even within the film universe there's a little bit of history already with the avengers so to see cap kind of kind of work this team together into something i thought that was great that was great oh it was enjoyable i mean yeah i mean i didn't get a bunch of goosebumps but yeah seeing the team in action was another visual moment that was like oh that's awesome yeah, yeah, totally. I, I mean, I, I there's a scene in uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming where they're in the back of the Vulture. Michael Keaton, speaking of Michael Keaton, yes, Michael Keaton's cab, and you kind of watch through the conversation, and Michael Keaton susses out that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Yes, that was an was e- like, that was that an eerie is, moment. That was an eerie moment. That, that was awesome. That is great comics ad- adapted to film. Right. No, I, I like stuff. I said. Uh, yeah, there there are moments. I you know I, I guess I'm trying too hard. Like you said, I just got to go in and enjoy it. Screw it. Buy my yeah, just buy, buy my popcorn and shut up. Just watch it. And not not shut up, but just uh, keep looking. You know, if you don't find uh, what you're looking and for. And like I said, I think I think that's that's something important for everybody to enjoy with the way that the the society is nowadays and a lot of things that are going on. You need that yeah. escape. Yeah, and and yeah. I mean, these movies do do that. These movies definitely allow you to escape for two hours. Um, obviously, we're all going to, you know, because we're passionate about comic books or the history of these characters, we do nitpick and kind of pull things out. But at the end of the day, it is. I mean, it, even if I don't get goosebumps, I still enjoyed it. Like I said, it's a popcorn movie, and I was allowed to escape for two hours and not really be too concerned about what was going on in the real world for that matter. I mean, walk, yeah. walking in, yes, walking out. Again, yes, you know, but for the two hours, yeah. you're like, okay, yeah, I can actually enjoy this and not worry about the bills and whatnot, I guess, all the time. But Yeah. So well, that's – go ahead. Um, I, th- I think also that, you know, I don't think we're looking to be kids. Uh, the way I always rationalize it, and maybe, you know, I'm delusional, but I don't, <laughs> I don't think we're looking to be children. I think we're looking to – be childlike. Yeah. Oh, that, I, yes. Yes. That includes kind of, and by childlike, I mean to be your authentic self. Yes. Okay. And, yeah, uh, I understand that. And I, that's something that I, I, I will admit that I'll try to be like. That's hard nowadays. That's for damn sure. <laughs> not, not so easy when you got, like you said, you got to pay the bills and, uh, you know, things that you love and the things you need to do are not always jiving. Right. You I know, agree so. with you. It's, it's uh, you know, when you have to just worry about playing uh, baseball with your buddy Kevin and the only thing you have to worry about is lunch, make sure that you make it home for lunch or you're going to get an ass whooping. And then the next <laughs> thing after lunch, the only thing you have to be concerned about is making it home for dinner. So I mean, yeah. so a lot more to think about now than there was then. So. <laughs> right. 
But Where are you, Kevin? Come back. Yes, definitely. <laughs> or you know, I, I remember back in the day, you know, you miss lunch, your ass is grass. I mean, yep. at noon. I don't care how you find out if you don't have a watch, you better be here at noon. You know, <laughs> so same thing with dinner. Always make um always sit down with the family on the weekends for dinner. But Yeah. Um but uh Joe, thank you so much for uh, for talking. I, obviously, we could go another uh, another forty five minutes or so. But uh, with every guest, uh, I have a little segment uh, towards the end here uh, called um, First, Last, Best, Worse." So, uh, oof. yeah, oof, yes. Uh, don't worry, <laughs> they're they're not uh, they're not uh, too difficult of a questions. Just okay. uh, it's not like a, a hard hitting. Uh, you know, uh, news network moment here. We're gonna put you, put the spotlight on you, and get you going here. So, okay. So, uh, let's see. Um, we, you already actually, um, the first you kind of already answered for me. So I was already thrown with that because I do like to write these down beforehand. And so the first comic book was definitely a given, but uh, you had already answered that for me. Um, uh, can you? Rem- I don't. I don't know my first comic book, but I will say that the first issue of Spider-Man that I said I am now a collector was 108. Okay, I'll take that. Okay, yeah, How's first that? that's good. First issue was 108. Kind of put a spin on it. Now, uh, um, what was the last thing you Googled? Last thing I Googled? Yeah. Do you Google? <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, it was probably reference. I'm trying to think of what it was. Probably working uh, with the Jacques Cousteau. Yeah, yeah, it was probably an animal. It wasn't a shark because I've got plenty of reference on that now. But uh, it was probably an animal. Okay. For this book. All right. Uh, favorite curse That's word. That's a good question though, for <laughs> modern times, right? Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> favorite curse word. I've been using dog shit a lot lately. <laughs> yeah, really? That's dog when shit? When describing people. Oh, you're a piece of dog shit. Oh, okay. Uh, there's a big difference between you're a piece of dog shit and that's dog shit. Okay. All right. The, the state of affairs lately. Yeah, I, I could see that. I could see that. You, yeah. you were the first non-fuck, so be congratulations. Yeah, well, I, I, you, you can't. To spoilers, we talked about the question <laughs> earlier. So. I, well, this question, yes. I got to rethink yes. it a little bit. Yeah. Well, this particular question. Um, right. Worst. Worst fear. Worst fear. Oh, that's a good question. Worst fear. Yeah, I'm not very good in front of people, so I'd say some kind of public speaking or performing. Okay. I don't care for And this it. is the man that goes to Comic-Cons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you're supposed to conquer your fears, right? I, yes, you do on a monthly and yearly basis. You do. So I have a pretty solid fear of heights, too. That's why I jumped out of an airplane when I was in college. Oh, so conquering your fear. Well, there you go. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, Didn't I, work. It didn't work. It was one time, and no. that was it, huh? Did not work. No. That's too funny. Um, yeah, I've jumped out of a plane twice and bungee jumped. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Where? When? Uh, California, both times. Uh, San Mateo, San Francisco area. 
2000, maybe 2001. Really? Yeah. Did you live out there for a while? Where were you? No, I, I dated a girl that lived out there for a while. Oh. Hey, did you go be... with her? Yeah, she. Yeah, we did tandem. Yeah. She, oh no! Yeah, way. She did it with the instructor. Awesome. I did it with the instructor. Listen, this is my show. Oh, cool. Don't be asking me questions now, Joe. <laughs> what are you doing here, trying to turn this around on me? Well, we have our uh, Space Ghost podcast. I'll ask you these questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, jumping out of a plane with your girlfriend. How does that tie in with Space Ghost? Seriously, uh, everybody, tweets by no, hashtag no. Spider Man podcast. <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> we will come up with something. I'm such a master of social media. Uh, well, I know. I keep telling you, you need to let me handle some of that chore for you. Um, I do. Where can when? they? Whenever. I keep telling you, give me the give me the access, and you you keep saying okay, and then it's on okay, my plate. Let's do it <laughs> tomorrow. You, you've said that six times now already. <laughs> tomorrow is All gone right. and passed. But anyway, we'll talk I about think it. The problem is you want money. No, I. First off, that's not the case. <laughs> I said that. I said, okay, we, I think we, the problem is I think you should be paid for your time. Exactly, and I, and I said, <laughs> okay. until you run out of pages with me on them, then we're good. Okay. Until those all are right. all gone, then um, we're, we'll talk a lot more. Because I right. know there's at least three more pages I need. Uh, okay, I think. we'll talk tomorrow. Yeah, we'll talk tomorrow. But uh, where can they find you online, Joe? Where can they find your artwork? Where can uh, they buy your books? Where can they get you? I think the best place to go would be uh, joestpierre.com or newzodiacs.com. It's the same website. And there are links to my Facebook and my Twitter and my Instagram. That's all on the website. Awesome. Joe, thank yeah. you so much. This was uh, fun. Now, I know we've been on together before. I think you and Paul Harding, and you might be tied with Ron, but I don't think so. We're the uh, is the been on our shows or on our network more than anybody else so but this oh, was great i'm in good company yes <laughs> yes you are but uh, no this was great and thanks for uh delving a little bit deeper into the uh the mythos of saint pierre yeah man cool thanks for having me i love you man all right man thank you well there you have it joe saint pierre the man the myth the legend uh, so many great stories. Uh, always fun sitting down with him. And like I said, it's always great to learn a little bit more about uh, longtime friends. And uh, that's what this podcast is about. And I'm glad that uh, I've been able to get back on the mic and uh, get out on the airwaves for you guys. And once again, thank you so much for listening. And uh, you know what? After you're done listening to this podcast, make sure you unplug and get outside and go do something. Peace. This has been an Earplug Podcast presentation found on EarplugPodcast.com, iTunes, SoundCloud, and wherever your favorite podcasts are found.